I'm sure that many of you, either yesterday or later on today, are going to be getting together with family, because today is a holiday all about family. And there's something that I've noticed about family gatherings of all shapes and sizes, and it's that when family gets together, they love to tell stories. Stories about things that have happened since you last saw one another, but also oftentimes stories about your families getting together. And I don't know if your family's anything like my family, but there tends to be certain stories that get told almost every time you are all together. I am so excited that I will be getting to see my family later on today, really early tomorrow morning. We're flying out later today. Uh, and I know that when we all converge on the Pricinger household in Albany, New York, that there will be the telling and sharing of stories, the same stories we tell almost every time. And there's one in particular that I guarantee you is going to be told or at least passively referenced because somehow it comes up all the time. It is the story of the old country buffet fiasco. Have any of you ever been to an old country buffet? Do you remember these? It's kind of like a golden corral, one of these American eateries. And when you're a kid, it's the best thing ever. Cause you're like, wait, I can keep going up for more food. Wait, there's an ice cream machine that I get to work myself, that kind of buffet. But then if you've ever been back as an adult, you start to recognize that there is something deeply wrong and flawed about a restaurant that serves pizza and fried chicken and lo mein and somehow they all taste the same. But I digress. The Old Country Buffet fiasco happened when I was nine years old and I was returning from the ice cream machine that I got to use all by myself and I had created a very large hot fudge sundae and I proudly presented it onto the table so my family could admire with a flourish and of course that flourish resulted in the sundae landing face down in the <laughs> seating area. And so we're scrambling, trying to clean up this incredible mess that I've made in our booth. And my mom turns to this well-dressed young man who was walking by and says, excuse me, could you please go get us some napkins? And so we continue to clean up and the well-dressed young man returns and says, here are your napkins. And that's when my older sister says, mom, he doesn't work here. <laughs> now here's the thing, it's not even that good a story. But we tell this story, that's it, that's the end. I know, you're expecting more. But we tell this story every time we get together. Because I've learned, the stories that we tell reveal something about who we are. My family always tells this story because we're the type of family that cares a lot about how we come across to other people. We really want to be treating folks with respect and dignity and that's not what happened in the old country buffet fiasco. My mother mistook a well-dressed young man for someone who worked at the old country buffet. And so it embarrassed all of us a little bit, and we continue to tell the story because it really speaks to the heart of who we are as people. Here's why I'm telling you all of this. This passage from John's Gospel that I just read for you, it's the story of Jesus' birth only Really, this is more a story about who God is and who we are and how we know that to be true because of Jesus' birth. John's gospel is believed to be written by scholars about a hundred years after Jesus was born. It's likely that John and the people in his community had shared stories for years and years about who Jesus is. 
And then finally, towards the end of his life, John decided, you know, I better write some of these things down. But first, he needed to write a little bit of an intro to all the stories that were to come. He needs to tell us why he's sharing the stories of Jesus. And that's what this passage is, John's prologue to his gospel. And the main theological point that John makes in this prologue the succinct statement that John offers us as, as to why he's telling the stories of Jesus is simply this. God became flesh and lived among us. God, the creator of the entire universe, entered the world as a tiny human baby. In other words, the infinite, all-powerful creator whom we worship and fear, whom we can't possibly comprehend, this almighty God became a human being like you and me. The opening to John's gospel tells us that all our lofty ideas about God or these gut feelings we might have about faith, these stories that have been told again and again every year that maybe we're even starting to doubt a little bit, they became real. The infinite intangible, almighty creator of the universe became something as personal and relational as a human being. The author and priest, Richard Rohr, has this great little succinct statement about the birth of Jesus. He says, God materialized as a human being so that we could fall in love with a real person. Because after all, that's the only thing you can fall in love with. I really love that sentiment, but I also think it needs to be taken a step further. Not only are real people the only ones you can fall in love with, but I also think we need to point out the fact that God was born as a tiny baby. And if you've ever held an infant or interacted with an infant, you know that it almost compels you to fall in love. This time of year, I think a lot about Mary and Joseph and this story in prep for all the church services that we have to do, yes, but also because I often wonder what it was like for them to be first-time parents. I remember the moment when I became a parent for the first time, and it is a world-changing event. I remember all of the births of my children, but in particular, it's that first one that you're not quite ready for. And so my first child, Evelyn, hey, Evelyn. I'll give you extra Christmas presents for this later, all right? (laughs) When Evelyn was born, it was like all of the ideas of the last nine months, all of the advice that people had given me, all of these thoughts I had about what's going to be like to be a parent finally had just suddenly become flesh. It had become something so real to me. And it's funny how when you're there with your infant child for the first time, just the thoughts that go through your head. I I remember when Evelyn was born, uh, my wife had a very long labor and had done all of the hard work. And so she was sleeping for most of Evelyn's first day of life. And so I was just there with Evelyn to to think. (laughs) And I remember being just so worried and confused about this tiny creature that I was now responsible for. 
is, is she hot, right? Is that why she's moving around? Is that a normal noise that the child, should I call the nurse right now? Probably should call the nurse. Maybe I should wake up Amanda because she's hungry. I don't know what's going on right now. And it becomes very clear after about five minutes of these cycling thoughts that your life is never going to be the same. But then there's also other thoughts that move into your head. Because I also remember holding Evelyn and just walking with her in the room, pacing in that hospital room, and thinking about all the hopes I had for her life. I I remember imagining what it would be like when she learned to crawl, what it would be like when she learned to walk. I remember picturing us in, in the backyard playing sometime in the future when she'd grown up. So you have all these thoughts about how your world has changed but you also have so much hope for what this child could become, for the relationship that you want to have with this tiny creature that was only an idea a day ago. And I also obviously remember just the intense feelings of love that I couldn't explain, that I suddenly had for this tiny child it overtakes you. It wasn't there a day ago, and then it was more real than anything you could possibly imagine. You see, I think there's something deeply wise, deeply beautiful about this story that we tell every Christmas, that God came down from heaven and became incarnate as a tiny little baby. It's a message to us that yes, when Jesus was born, our world changed forever but it changed so that our hearts might be filled with hope so that we could fall in love with a real person, with a real God. Why do we tell this story? More importantly, what does this Christmas story tell us about ourselves? It tells us that we believe in a God whose very essence is love. And not only that, but we believe in a God who wants nothing more than for our hearts to be filled with hope. To know that there is healing, that there is wholeness, that there is acceptance, that there is a great loving God who wants nothing more than to be in relationship with us. And of course, more than anything else, we also know from this story that God hopes that we'll be conduits of this love. That we'll fall in love with God that we'll fall in love with this broken humanity that God loves so much, that we'll continue to carry forward this message of the incarnation, theologians say, this sense that all these ideas, all these fancy things we say about God, no, 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 they become real through the love we show one another, through the hope we foster, through the ways that we continue to live out the birth of Jesus in our lives. Amen.